all and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry. Clay Lowry serves as the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry. Today, I'm going to talk about the IMF World Bank Spring Meetings Week. We'll be heading into that the week of April 18th. I wanted to give a brief preview of some of the major themes that I believe will be the focus of the discussion in the hallways, the meeting rooms, and across the negotiating tables at this year's meetings. But for those of you who are unfamiliar with the spring meetings, it is a week in April where finance ministers, central bank governors, private sector actors, civil society organizations and policymakers from around the world gather in Washington, D.C. to discuss current global financial issues. In addition to gathering together, the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank hold a series of formal meetings to try to address global economic issues, whether it's economic growth, reducing poverty, making aid more effective, what have you. And at the same time, a number of groupings get together and have meetings. Probably the two key ones are the G7 group of countries, which is this year chaired by Germany, and the G20 set of countries, which is this year chaired by Indonesia. They will hold their meetings that week as well. Given the importance of the week in Washington and the ramifications of some of these discussions that they have on the financial services industry globally, I wanted to just give you two cents on what topics will be in the forefront of people's minds. I had four topics, but there are a number of other topics that might be covered. Let me start first and foremost with the crisis in Russia, Ukraine. Clearly, this will be the most important topic of conversation next week. I anticipate that the lion's share of discussion will be on the war in Ukraine and the subsequent financial sanctions that have been placed on Russia. How are they impacting Russia's financial markets and its economy? How are they impacting the global economy? What does this mean for the geopolitical landscape? Since our last episode discussing this issue, a slew of new sanctions have been put in place. For instance, in just the last week or so, the United States, in coordination with G7 countries and the EU, announced it would ban all new investment in Russia. It would sanction government officials and some of their family members, and it would increase sanctions on financial institutions and state-owned enterprises in Russia. In addition, the U.S. Treasury Department stated that it will no longer allow Russia to use frozen funds to repay its debts. The European Commission, in just the last week or so, announced that it would ban coal, wood, chemicals, and other imports from Russia, which amount to about 9 billion euros a year. The ban on coal is maybe particularly significant as it's the first ban by the EU on an energy import from Russia. Between the time this podcast was recorded and when it actually airs, even more sanctions could be imposed on Russia, as the U.S., EU, and its allies are working to severely constrain Russia's economy. And while the ruble has strengthened, IIF economists believe this is largely due to capital controls, large current account surplus inflows, the fact that the central bank has raised interest rates, and low liquidity in the ruble market. One thing that is certain, though, is Russia's central bank's expertise and credibility, as well as macroeconomic buffers, have actually helped Russia's markets during this time. We still expect, however, that the sanctions regime will still have a severe impact on Russia's economy 
which could likely contract by around 15, that's 1.5% in 2022. Lastly, and more of an interesting element, is to see how Russia will be treated at the G20. As I mentioned, the G20 is scheduled to have a meeting that week among its finance ministers and central bank governors. And the Indonesia, which has the presidency of the G20, will hold its leaders summit, so presidents and prime ministers, at the end of the year. And Vladimir Putin has said that he plans to attend the meeting in Jakarta, Indonesia. As for the finance ministers, Janet Yellen, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, has said that the United States may actually skip portions of the G20 if Russia takes part. So we'll see what happens on those issues. A second key topic, the week of the IMF and World Bank meetings, will be on the benefits and risks around the use of digital assets. Major international standard setters, such as the Financial Stability Board, have been focused on digital assets. And before I dive into what is a digital asset, let me explain a little about the Financial Stability Board, known as the FSB. The FSB is an international body made up of a secretariat that is based in Switzerland, and its member organizations are the key finance ministries, central banks, and financial regulators around the world. The goal of the FSB is to promote global financial stability in coordination with national financial authorities and international standard-setting bodies. As for digital assets, the FSB has been monitoring them since 2018. Though digital assets still represent a small percentage of the global financial system, they have grown exponentially over the last few years. For our listeners who may be unfamiliar with this topic, let me just give a quick overview of digital assets. There are different ways of categorizing digital assets, but let me try to just give you three. First is a digital asset that does not have any backing outside of, frankly, cryptographic techniques in order to generate a medium of exchange. These are often referred to as cryptocurrencies. Second, maybe a different type of cryptocurrency are something called stable coins, which are theoretically supposed to offer much more price stability and are backed by reserve assets. I say theoretically because that's not always the case. And third is central bank digital currencies. So these are digital tokens, digital assets, in other words, that are issued by central banks, not by private sector actors. This conversation around digital assets has accelerated globally as different jurisdictions are looking to increase regulation or to introduce central bank digital currencies. Here in the United States, the Federal Reserve Board has been focusing heavily on this topic, and they released a white paper in January on the pros and cons of the potential U.S. central bank currency. Comments on this paper are going to be accepted until late May. In addition, the Biden administration put out an executive order to try to put the central bank digital currency and digital assets into kind of a broader framework and to look at them through a broader lens. And maybe lastly, the Russia-Ukraine crisis has highlighted this topic because, of course, there's the concern that a diversification strategy around some of the sanctions will be cryptocurrencies. It's a concern that hasn't necessarily played out, but it is one that is going to be discussed at the IMF World Bank meetings. A third important topic that week is going to be for the regulatory bodies and for the policymakers is the development of standardized, sustainable finance, taxonomy, disclosure, and reporting practices. 
In the first episode of Current Account, I tried to discuss this issue in much more depth. But the one thing to note is there is agreement among the financial industry to transition to a low carbon and ultimately zero carbon economy. But this transition cannot happen without greater harmonization of data standards and metrics. One manifestation of that is something called the International Sustainability Standards Board, which is a newly created global standard setting board that is designed to try to put forward specific climate-related disclosure requirements. They have recently put out some of their initial proposals, and the industry, including the IIF, will be providing comments, though the discussion within the G20 setting and with global standard setters could be quite interesting. The last topic I'll highlight is something that, frankly, is on everybody's mind, which is inflation. Inflation has hit an all-time high here in the United States. It's costing the average U.S. household an additional $300 per month. The Federal Reserve has tightened policy in order to try to ease the surging inflation and has put out rhetoric to suggest that we'll be tightening even quicker over the following months. This rise in inflation, however, is a global problem and not just a U.S. problem. And it has been exacerbated by the Russia-Ukraine crisis, which has increased commodity prices, something that I discussed in episode four of Current Account. The impact of inflation on global economic growth is clearly a key topic of conversation among anybody that is in the financial world, and it will be a clear topic of discussion this week. Finally, I think I'd be remiss if I didn't mention a few other issues that will be taking up the time of policymakers that week. One is the concern about a potential global food crisis driven again by the Russia-Ukraine crisis, as both of them are major commodity exporters in things such as wheat. And a different idea that will be discussed is a proposal by the, the IMF to reallocate special drawing rights. To be frank, this is a very complicated topic, and I don't have time to go into it this week, but I did want to mention that it might be discussed in the hallways. So let me do the three, two, one. My three takeaways are the risks and opportunities associated with digital assets, such as stable coins and central bank digital currencies, and the attention of global financial regulators will be a key topic of conversation at next week's meeting. Second, the importance for global harmonization on sustainability-related disclosure standards is also going to be a key issue among finance leaders, and maybe more particularly on along the new proposal set forth by the International Sustainability Standards Board. And finally, inflation is continuing to rise globally. It's been getting worse due to the Russia-Ukraine crisis. And this is likely to be a major topic at this week's discussions. The two things I'm watching out for, one is I'm interested to see how the Russia-Ukraine crisis will be addressed at next week's meeting, and particularly, how will Russia's attendance at the G20 meeting be handled? And second, in addition to the G7, G20, World Bank, IMF meetings, the IIF will be hosting a series of meetings that week to cover many of the topics I've discussed in this podcast. And finally, my sports topic for today is actually on probably, if not the most popular sport in the world, 
one of the most, which is the World Cup. And for those of you who are unfamiliar, the World Cup is an international soccer competition. That's right, I said soccer because I am an American. Played every four years. The World Cup is usually held during the summer. However, this year's World Cup, which will be held in Qatar, will not take place until November and December, given the heat that Qatar experiences. To play in the World Cup, each team participates in qualifying tournaments, which are held on six continental zones, Africa, Asia, North and Central America, and the Caribbean, South America, Oceania, and Europe. From there, the 32 countries qualify and are grouped into eight groups of four, and this just happened over the last week. While it is always interesting to see which teams have qualified to be part of the tournament, in some respects, I want to mention the teams that have not qualified. First is Italy. Italy was the champion of the 2021 European Cup, so that was the best team of all of Europe last year. They are also one of the most successful countries in the history of the World Cup. Yet, for the second time in a row, they did not actually qualify for the World Cup. Another country is Egypt, which just a couple months ago finished in second place, so the runner-up after a series of penalty kicks in the Africa Cup of Nations. They are also the most successful country in Africa in terms of the Africa Cup of Nations, but they also did not qualify. In other words, qualifying for the World Cup is brutal. The United States actually did make the World Cup. We did not make it last time, but we did make it this time, and we are grouped in the same group as Iran, England, and one of the three following countries that will have to play against each other, either Ukraine, Scotland, or Wales. To be honest, I like to remain neutral during these episodes, but let me just tell you, go Ukraine. That's all for today's episode. I'll be taking a week off next week so I can spend time with my family, but join me the next time on Current Account with Clay Lowry. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at iif.com please make sure to tune in next Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.